As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. This is the handbreaker off the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Stone. I'm joined, as ever, by James McNicholas on the Arsenal beat for The Athletic and also making his debut for Handbreak Off, Tom Warville, the football analytics writer for The Athletic. Hello, chaps. Hello, Ian. Hello. Hi, Ian. Tom. Uh, Saving the best for last. It says here on the script, <laughs> it's Lee Dixon, the former right-back, proud wearer of the number two, and a man who has never, ever cut the sleeves off a hallowed shirt. Hello, Lee. Morning. How are you? Yeah, hey, we're fine. We're fine. I say Amy's we're retired, fine. yeah? Uh, <laughs> for just, a week. Just, yeah, okay. Winter for break. Week. Two yeah. weeks, actually, but I'm not counting. Winter break, exactly. Um, and she picked a, a strange time, really. I mean, obviously, last week was a bit uh, depressing, but it all got a lot happier. The victory over the, over Dundalk on Thursday and then an outstanding uh, win over Manchester United at Old Trafford. 14 years since we last beat them uh, at uh, at Old Trafford. And we, we thought we'd ask the, uh, the panel, what are your favourite wins over Manchester United? Lee, I imagine you played in a few. Yeah, one or two. Um, um, oh, I mean, you know, God, I could name all of I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to really surprise you. So the one that stands out is the, the 1-0 um, when we had to, when we're chasing United down and we won the league and we were 10 points behind and when we went there and Mark, Mark Overmars. Yeah. That was kind of, you know, the, the, the joy of playing against them in that respect. Um, but I'll probably um, say, and I'm going to link the two together, the two semi-finals, obviously the one we drew and then we then the Brian Giggs one, which is very painful to say the least. But And I've had this conversation with a couple of United players. That, 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 those two games, and I'll maybe put the, the second one up there as the most emotional um, game of football I've ever played in both um, highlights and lowlights and ups and downs and and what went on in that game from the first kickoff based on the fact it was a replay based you know we were both going for the league and 
we did think at the time that if you win this and go to the final, you kind of win the league as well, which is exactly what they went on to do, in fact, win the treble. Um, and that game just had absolutely everything from a player emotional point of view. And I'm sure, you know, you guys will back me up and say from a supporter's point of view as well. It was, you know, he had he had everything. And yes, we ended up losing the game and and it was hugely disappointing. But I'm going to pick that as my most memorable um, for not necessarily the great memories, but just for the emotion. It just was the biggest roller coaster I think I've ever been on. You know what? It's great to hear. And I'm sure James and Tom agree. You know, as fans, obviously, we want to win games. But really, we go for the emotion, right? Mm. And... Obviously, you can't have the highs. You can't have the rainbow without having some rain, as Dolly Parton once famously sang. And you can't have the highs without the lows. And so you have to have those moments. Uh, James, would you agree? I'm assuming you would. I would, yeah. And I think sort of Lee makes a good point about it being a replay. You, you By nature, you come into that game with so much baggage. And, you know, they were two teams at the absolute height of their powers at that point. Yeah. And, you know, the quality was undoubted across them. I mean, it is a, a memory that is a, a painful one as a supporter, but in some ways, you know, given the way we've kind of slipped from the top level of competition, you do look back on, on those moments fondly too. There is a sort of nostalgia in that. So I can see what Welly's coming from. I have uh, picked a win, nevertheless, Manchester United, because <laughs> it's all I can bet to do. Yes. I, I actually haven't gone for the Overmars one, but in the same season... Uh, we beat United 3-2 earlier in the oh, campaign. Great night. And great night. I, it was a great night. And I also remember it for three really good goals. Anelka scored a brilliant goal to open it. Patrick Vieira from the edge of the box flashed into the far corner. And then obviously that David Platt header to win it really late on. I just love a game with a late winner as well. You can't really do better than that. Against Manchester United, it's all very, very nice. Tom, what about you? Um... <laughs> My my pick, I mean, I'm slightly embarrassed by it because um, my pick is when I was only really getting into football around 2006. I was 12, 13 years old at that time. Sorry, chaps. Um, and <laughs> I, um, yeah, go on. Was, Does that make you 15 uh, now? I, I mean, yeah. it's ridiculous. <laughs> I, I Taking the I afternoon this... off school to do this. <laughs> go on. Yeah, I I, I won this job through collecting stamps off the back of um, cereal boxes. That's how I'm, I, I got to this point. Um, <laughs> no, it was it was the one winner, one winner at Old Trafford. Um, uh, I kind of fondly remember the goal because I remember absolutely you know, screaming at the TV when it went in. But Fabregas hunts down Cristiano Ronaldo, and it's it's always a lovely moment when he gets tackled when trying to take someone on, and especially even sweeter when they can go through and, and score from that moment. So um, Fabregas through to Adebayor, um, and kind of yeah, that that was that really. But for me, that you know, kind of agreeing with Lee, the the games where there's so much more emotion on the line as a fan are the ones that stick with you so much longer. And for me, that was a, a big start of, you know, getting obsessed and getting really, really into, into football as a kid. Uh, yeah, I, I went for a, a win at Old Trafford as well. And uh, I know there's listeners to another podcast who would have heard me talking about this two days ago, but I, I make no apologies. Um, we went to uh, Old Trafford a few years ago on a Monday night and uh, we won 2-1 in the FA Cup quarterfinal. And I, I, there were 9,500 of us uh, who went up on that evening, uh, mm. on a Monday night, to go and see Arsenal play at Old Trafford. Made an enormous amount of noise. Danny Welbeck scored the winning goal. 
And what I loved about that uh, was that the players acknowledged it. I mean, I heard I heard two of the players, I think. I know Ch uh, Chesney did, I think. Maybe Bentner, I can't remember. Um, actually, couldn't have been Bentner. He would have been thinking about himself. But certainly one of the players uh, and, and someone else acknowledged how much the fans had helped them that night. And it felt... I don't know, it really felt like we came together as a club for that evening. And and obviously winning away at Old Trafford is not something... It was the first time I've ever seen us win away at Old Trafford, been, having been in the ground. So it was a big one for me. Uh, that was the 2-1 uh, the win in the FA Cup uh, a few years back mm. when we went on uh, to win uh, the trophy. And now... In the second half of the show, we will be joined by the new athletic writer, Arda Roche, to discuss his contributions to the athletic, as well as those of the other Arsenal writers we know, James and Amy and Tom. Um, which gives me a decent excuse to tell you that right now you can subscribe to the athletic for just £1 a week. You can read all of our articles on Arsenal and so much more. Um, James, is, is there a particular thing you've read recently that you'd uh, like to talk about? Uh, just all my stuff, really. I just read it over and over again. I'm like, bloody hell, this is good. <laughs> yes, we all feel much the same way. To be Stoney honest, Stoney does that with his reviews, but it doesn't yeah. last very long. He's done it in about a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Lee. It's lovely to see you as well. I have had some terrible reviews. I'll be honest. You know, I once got a review from a magazine that said reputedly brilliant, but we've never caught him on a good night. <laughs> God. <laughs> but anyway. Anyway, it's enough of that. Uh, anyway, you can subscribe, as I said, to The Athletic for just £1 a week. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod and sign up for a quid a week. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at the time. Now the reason, of course, we talked about Manchester United and our favourite wins is because we had a good one on Sunday, a very, very good one. Um, over Man United, 1-0 uh, to the Arsenal at Old Trafford, which must have made you feel good, Lee, when you heard the score. Um, I mean, it's it's always a pleasure winning there. Does it, it doesn't have the same feeling now that it did when you were playing, when you were talking about that Ryan Giggs game. Mm. I mean, is, in the end, before the game started, this was 13th against 15th, right? Yeah, I mean, if it had been back in my day and we'd have been both a bad start to the season. There's still been that that feeling. I think as as the years have gone on, that's um, been eroded away a little bit. Um, it's only natural when the teams are not at the top, battling against each other for the league, which we were back in those days. It was it, it loses a little bit of impetus. I think um, the, the I don't. It, it seems like a big game on paper when you see it. It always goes, oh, Man United, Arsenal, Arsenal, Man United. There's always something from for, from us who who have got an attachment to those times, sort of try to relive it. But it does it ever get there? You know, there's no Alex Ferguson, there's no Arsene Wenger, there's no Vieira, there's no Keane. Um, but, it's you know, it still carries a little bit of weight. And I think it was... It carried a lot of weight the other night because they, they were, both teams were, and both managers were desperate for the win. I think it, we would have been talking mostly about, um, you know, 
where we're at in in, in, a, in a derogatory way if we'd have lost that game and yes. Arteta doing, you know, he's now lost four games and da-da-da-da. So it was a huge win for Arsenal and, and there's no doubt that on the night he got the tactics right, the players performed the plan like he, he wanted them to. Um, we can talk about Man United and how atrocious they were, but let's not because, you know, that takes it something away from us. And it's an it's an Arsenal podcast, so I don't really want to talk about United. So, um, but it was it was a, a, a performance that that lifted the spirits, regardless of the result. And the fact that it was one nil, just you know, you're right. It Lovely. did bring a big smile to my face. <laughs> I'm sure, but it brought a big smile to all our faces. James, I mean, what do we do right? First of all, this this pressing that we've heard so much about, we were we were in their faces, weren't we? I think we were much more so than we have been in recent weeks and and Tom can probably provide a bit more detail on that. But I thought we did press well from the front. You know, they changed a little bit the shape they pressed in. Out of possession, it was almost a a 4-4-2. Aubameyang was pressing in more central areas. You know, Lacazette worked very hard. Willian and Saka. Uh, I thought that was really encouraging. I thought Arsenal, the big takeaway for me actually was how physical they were in that first 10 minutes you know there were a couple of challenges or sort of shoulder to shoulder moments where the likes of Gabriel and Partey went into challenges came out with the ball and you just thought you were seeing an Arsenal side assert themselves physically at Old Trafford which is not something we've been able to say too often I don't think in recent times Uh, so that was really pleasing I thought defensively Arsenal were very, very good. I mean, United, for all their problems, you know, they do present issues on set pieces with the likes of Harry Maguire. I thought for the most part, Arsenal dealt really well with that. You know, I don't think they're still, I still don't think they're creating a surplus of chances, Arsenal, but I think away to Old Trafford, that's maybe not particularly realistic. It's about taking the chances that you get. We didn't in the first half, but got a little bit lucky, got the penalty awarded, and it was enough to get the three points. But I did think that this was a a strong performance from Arsenal. I don't think that the gulf in quality and what Arsenal did is is that massive really over the last few weeks. I just think they got more breaks at Old Trafford and the, the margins are so fine. And I yeah. think as much as this isn't a, a big game in the terms of those 90s fixtures, you know, they're not out there vying for the title. This is still a big game for Arsenal because United really are sort of one of our immediate competitors at the moment. You know, they're going to be one of the teams battling for those final two top four places. And that's where we are too. So this could be a big three points come the end of the season. Quite. And and it is nice, I guess, to have laid that ghost to rest of winning away at ostensibly uh, another big six Mm. outfit, finally, for the first time since 2015. Uh, Tom, uh, as we've said, you are a stats man. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, Mohamed El Nene. Uh, El Nene, actually, sorry. Uh, I've got Thomas Partey and El Nene mixed up. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to ask about uh, El Nene. Um, I mean, Thomas Partey got the Man of the Match award, but El Nene and his running, um, what, did he run more than anyone else on the pitch? Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I've been asked that question a couple of times because it definitely did seem that from watching El Nene, yeah, I mean, he's not the best movies not the quickest uh, and actually the issue is i mean we don't actually have access to to the running stats which is annoying because i can't answer that question directly but i mean el Nenny, in the most part was was really really active on the field um he was kind of pressuring and harrowing in the midfield which i think we sometimes see from him and then we also see the side of him where he kind of lets loose and i think my favorite part of his game on 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 
the weekend was just him kind of closing down in the 90th minute and he just went on this oh. continual long run closing down <laughs> one two three players yes um, yes and i just like i really like his energy um and and that i thought was um was something we don't usually see a lot from him we usually see him passing a lot sideways and backwards um but but that side of his game of the weekend was um, was really pleasing to see just going back to that that um i saw that clip on on um twitter or where youtube whatever it was on and i it made it did make me laugh because um people were putting it on going this is what you want to see in the 91st minute and and actually the the closing down that he did for i think it was Maguire who ended up mm. putting it out of play because he Lindelof actually but yeah it. was it Lindelof yeah. sorry yeah and um and the, the United two centre-halves merge into one as far as I'm concerned anyway um <laughs> but the yeah uh, they actually the putting the ball out of play and I thought at the time when I joined the game, I, I thought, oh, the fans will love that. And they're absolutely yes. quite right because it shows night first minute, he's fit, he's willing to do it. As a player, as a player on the pitch, if I saw one of my midfield players doing that, whether it's in the 91st <laughs> or the, I'm just going to pour cold water on it for a second and then I'll, and then I'll revert to being nice again. Yeah. As a player, seeing a player do that from midfield, you you'd... As he's setting off on that run, you would be going, oh, don't, no, don't go again. Don't stay where you are. Don't what you're doing. Da, da, da. Especially if you're on that left-hand side where he started the closing down because you always have to, you, you always have to, as, a, as, a, as a, a defender, I always look at a player making a run forward about what he's leaving behind. Mm. And it's all, you know, it's all well and good in doing that and forcing United back. And that says a little bit about what United are about. If you do that against a better team, you'll get absolutely passed around and then all of a sudden... And that's what... I mean, Xhaka's done that quite a lot in the time. He goes running, chasing after a player in, a, in an area he shouldn't be going in. The fact that it worked, and I'm not... And what I'm saying is you just have to... Yes, the spirit of what he did was great and the energy and everything. I, 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 don't, want to be, I don't want to see him doing that every week. If he's playing in front of a crowd and they're clapping doing that... The players can sometimes go, yeah, that's what they want me to do. And you go chasing the ball like that, you get picked off more often than you won't. So there's my cold water just pouring all, right. all over that that incident. But I liked his energy and his enthusiasm. Let's just leave it at that. I absolutely, do you know what? I was just about to ask you, Lee, whether him doing something like that would really lift the players. And I'd I think you've answered that. Telling off for me. You've, you've answered that pretty comprehensively. <laughs> uh, also, a word out for Hector Bellerin when because uh, uh, he won the throw there, and then Hector Bellerin did the worst foul throw you've ever seen. <laughs> Essentially, both his feet were off the ground, as far as I can tell. Um, yeah. In terms of stats, Lee, yeah, uh, because Tom is here and, and obviously he pays a lot of attention to stats. Obviously, when you were playing, there were less stats uh, around. But did you still? I mean, did you still get involved in that side of things, or, or were you just happy to to be positionally sound and and listen to t what Tony Adams was telling you and seeing where the person in front of you was meant to be? And um, was it less about stats back then? I guess it was. Yeah, I mean, the evolution of, of, of data and everything that's accessible now is is astonishing. And my, my son's a strength and conditioning coach, sports scientist. He works with all of that type of stuff anyway, and on, on, the, on, the, um, on the physical side of things and movement, etc. It, 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 no, is the answer to that. I mean, no. when we were playing, 
Arsene was, you know, he'd come into me. He came, I remember him coming into training one day and he pulled me to one side and he said, uh, I think it was a Thursday or a Friday, and he went, I'm leaving you out tomorrow. And this is what I was playing. It wasn't Lauren hadn't taken over by then. He he said, oh, I'm leaving I'm leaving you out tomorrow. And I said, why? And he went, uh, you, your numbers are not good. And I went, what, my number... I only wear number two. What you, I thought he was talking about my shirt number. And I said, what do you mean? Has it come off in the wash? I can't, we've got to stick another one on. What's going on? And he, and he went, no, your numbers, you, you, you're in the red. You're going to get injured. And I went, I feel great. And I did feel absolutely fit as a fiddle. I was really buzzing. I was a bit tired. It was near Christmas time, I think. And he went, no, I'm leaving you out. And, I, and he, he had some sort of stats, some opta stats in the early days that was showing that my sprints or something was showing up that I was I dropped off a little bit and also his eye as well he used his eye a lot Arsene in training that's he, he used to watch one of his biggest assets was the ability to be able to watch training and pull all this information that the sports scientists are giving him now or giving the managers now he used to be able to do it with his eyes and going yeah I've watched uh, that's why I, I think he didn't used to coach as you know shout and talk like uh, uh, like George Graham is because he was just assessing players on a constant basis and he was saying no your number's down you're going to get injured if I don't pull you out sure enough they put me on the bench I didn't play the week after I was sulking for the whole week because he left me out and I you know I hated not playing and the following week I played again um, away from home I think at Everton I was flying I was like it's like I'd started the season again and that <laughs> was him you know that was him doing the the sports science um, without any any stats. Um, all right, so Tom, um, was there anything from the game? I'm particularly interested in defence. Actually, uh, uh, Gabriel uh, Gabriel was fantastic. Uh, I think. Uh, also, um, I thought Rob Holding did very very well. Do any are there any particular stats that apply to defenders that will give you a clue as to how how dominant I think they were for the most part? Yeah, I think. In any kind of given game, we can look at the number of tackles that defenders are making, whether they're winning them kind of cleanly or not, or getting you know shoved off the ball. Um, yeah, but so, Tom, I mean, Gabriel... Tom, sorry, Tom. Before you go on, surely the whole thing is if you if you play for a team like say Manchester City, who have a lot of possession, their defenders are going to be not making that many tackles. So it's it's hard to judge from that point of view. It's slightly different for us away at Old Trafford, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, we do some stuff on the site where we'll adjust the number of tackles for how many touches the opposition has to try and alleviate that. So what you want to see is you want to see players like players like Kante and players like Allen play on teams in, in kind of Chelsea and Everton, um, respectively, who maybe have more of the ball than their opponent, but those are still really active guys in possession. And the same with, with Thomas Partey at the weekend. I mean, just quickly having a, a look at the possession stats here, and Arsenal had 47% of the ball. So that's, you know, it's it's not low. Um, it's not super low. It's not super high. But he was still really, really active and dominant in, in midfield. Um, if I'm just looking at his uh, defensive stats from the weekend, I mean, Partey made um, four tackles. He won three of them the other one that he wouldn't have kind of committed a foul the ball was just lost it it was kind of had to be recovered by another player um he won his one aerial duel that he had um and then if you look at kind of gabriel as well he, he won two of his three aerial duels um he was uh, did a lot of kind of pressuring in midfield and stepping up which i think we saw both from him and rob holding um and sometimes 
it wasn't like the cleanest of of attempts to engage the ball. I mean, I think personally he was quite lucky to stay on the field, especially with the the foul in the second half. Yeah, I think that it was. Uh, I think that on another day, that's the second yellow. The kind of kick. I can't remember who it, it was out on. He, re- um, he he thought that as well because you could see in his face. I, he had yeah, that, he had that look in his face that went, "Oh no." And he got he, away with one there. He held his hands up. Yeah. He did. That's true. But he didn't go to ground. I think it would have been pretty harsh. It would have been exactly what we'd expect from Mike Dean at Old Trafford. But um, <laughs> it, I, I was arguing with the United fans on Twitter about that. That very. Um, it was Mason Greenwood, by the way. Uh, I was arguing with United fans on yes. Twitter about that challenge. What difference does it make going to ground or staying on your feet? I would suggest <laughs> it's more. It's more in control. Something like that. It's. It's less reckless. Therefore. I think it's it's less of a yellow card. I think I think if he goes to ground and brings Mason Greenwood uh, down there, he's off. But, but I think because he stayed in his feet, I think that's why Mike Dean gave him the benefit of the doubt. Is that a fair answer? No, no, no. It, I'm not going to comment on your answer. I just wanted to know what what your answer was. Thank you. <laughs> I feel I backed it up with some confidence, even if I didn't feel it when I was saying it. And that's that's my general feeling. Sorry, Tom. You want to? Oh, sorry, James. You wanted to James jump in. James wanted here. to jump in. Thank you. Yeah, I, I was just. I think Tom made an interesting point about Gabriel and Holding pushing up into midfield and winning the ball a bit higher. And my sense from my sort of eye test was that Arsenal were playing higher generally in this game. You know, they were more aggressive, more assertive. And I wanted to ask Tom, you know, it seemed to me like they were pressing more in this match than they do generally. And does that tally up with sort of what you're seeing in in, in the numbers? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I mean, looking at the first half in particular against United, that was Arsenal's kind of most aggressive half of pressing when we look at a metric called PPDA. So that is how many passes did did Arsenal allow United to make before attempting to get a foot in? Um, so that was just mm. around 9.9 passes that United could make before Arsenal stuck a foot in. If we look at the first half against Liverpool, we let them pass 42 times before looking to win the ball back. So that shows you just how kind of much, you know, insert... Sorry, Tom, to, is it the area of the pitch has anything to do with that stat? Or is it just how many times they pass it before they start to press? It doesn't matter where it is on the pitch. That stat will still be the no, same. No, so it's it's outside of, of Arsenal's own defensive third. So essentially we want to see, are they pushing up and trying to pressure and tackle uh, you know, high up the pitch instead of... Because if, right. if you're including the kind of back line as well, you'll just get teams that are sitting deep and... and flailing around at the back trying to trying to stop to stop themselves from conceding shots okay. um right. so in the first half like i said it was it was 9.9 this figure of, of passes per defensive action but in the second half it shot up right to 34.4 and that's because the, they were deeper the kind of, because they they were playing deeper yeah exactly which i'm i'm kind of wondered is is that due to them not being able to kind of prolong that pressure um or is it just a case of you know game management or you know United actually were a bit more on the front foot after the second half but even though Arsenal pressed pretty high in the first half against United and, and obviously the game against Leicester as well it felt that they, they pressed really high and that's reflected in the numbers overall this season Arsenal are kind of around mid-table for for this PPDA figure and I think that it shows that they are able to press and, and Arteta seems like a, a coach who can definitely manage and tweak tactically game to game but it doesn't seem like the underlying game plan the underlying strategy overall is press really high I think he's quite selective as to when to try and use that or when to try and sit back like against against Liverpool in particular um, and try and play on on the counter um 
a couple of things um, I want to ask. One is about uh, Partey. I mean, I think he's just slotted in uh, beautifully. Uh, Lee, when you have a player like that in the centre of midfield, does it just elevate the rest of the players? I mean, we've seen Mohamed Elneny and the way he's been playing. Uh, is it just because he's sat next to someone who is obviously a class above? Well, I, good players rub off on, on, on lesser players. And there's no doubt that um, going into a team with a player like Partey at the, at the moment and playing alongside him would <clears throat> fill you with confidence. I think he's, I think he has slotted in really well. And you know what I'm like. I don't, I don't normally make um, judgment on people until I've seen them, you know, enough times for me to formulate that opinion. And I think it'd be the same with him. Although he does seem like he's a he's a class act and just the 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 uh, variability in his game and his his uh, his positional play I think his ability to step into the hole to make tackles to um, to deliver the ball pass wise into the right areas um, he, he looks like he would be a calming influence so I think El Nenny playing alongside him would be anybody but certainly him we saw that we've seen the benefit of that already um, you know having Patrick Vieira there's no doubt that Manu Petit was uh, equally as effective in that midfield with him. But I think, you know, Patrick took the headlines because he's he's a little bit more dynam dynamic than Manu. But um, so I think play them separately. And I, I think they, uh, they perhaps wouldn't be as good. I think they made a really good partnership. And that's what it's all about. It's about him being able to, to create a partnership with somebody in the middle of the park. Um, and full-backs and centre-backs making partnerships. And I think that's something that um, that we're going to see over the next few months. That's the, that's the kind of development that this team needs, you know, to, to create those uh, partnerships as opposed to being a bunch of individuals who don't know what each other's doing and getting stretched and the midfield not doing what the back four need or the back five need and, and, and the same with the strikers. So... And it's about filling in those little gaps in between those lines and the different departments. It it almost becomes a fluid thing, and you don't notice the midfield and the and the back line and the forwards. It all kind of mingles into one when you're going forward, and the same when you're defending. Tom, um, I want to let you go in a second, but before we do, I want to ask you briefly about Willian. Um, he obviously started very well against Fulham, uh, got goals and assists and what have you, but. Um, it sort of it feels a little bit like it, it's tailed off. Oh, is there something going on with this game that the fans maybe are not seeing, and the reason that uh, Mikel Arteta is picking him? Yeah, I think Williams was a really interesting game at the weekend because I think you learn more about the things that he didn't do versus what he usually does um, versus what he actually kind of did on the field. I mean, William to me is a player who's so dynamic, he's so electric in his movement, and usually you see him trying to take players on consistently. He didn't try and attempt any take-ons at the weekend. He didn't try and dribble past any players. But what we did see a lot of, I thought, is is just his. His linking up with Hector Bellerin is really starting to develop. Um, and we saw kind of William is the guy at the weekend who was making kind of the pass before the pass that created the chance. There was that lovely one-two with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in the first half. And oh, obviously the yeah. um, the, the effort the just kissed the top of the crossbar. Yeah, And the penalty. And he also, 
Exactly. He, he, his was the ball to win the penalty. His as well was the ball into Bellerin to cross him for Saka for the header. So he, you know, he's not getting as much of the limelight, as much of the credit, because he's the he's the guy putting the ball in before the ball in. Um, but I still think that you know he's actually he's really really good at that, and I think that he's a useful weapon to have because on his day he can be really dynamic and quick at attacking. But in games where we're a bit slower and more methodical around the area, William has an eye for a pass as well. Um, so just because he, he wasn't, again, the headline figures, I think doesn't mean that he wasn't having an impact. I've always wanted to be the guy who put the ball in before the ball was put in. That was, that was my dream. <laughs> Instead of the, the bloke who put the ball in the North Bank. <laughs> Do you know, I was watching some uh, great Arsenal goals and you featured, there was one shot against Chelsea, Lee, where you buried it. In the top corner. It was a very yeah, nice hit. No, no idea why I was doing there. Should have been no. in the halfway line with my hand up. You did, you did look a bit like, oh, hello. That was uh, <laughs> better than I expected. Um, briefly, James, um, Roy Keane uh, had yeah. a little spat with Tim Cahill after the game. Uh, Roy Keane was being his usual bullish self. But Tim Cahill was pretty analytical and talking about uh, Mikel Arteta and what he's brought uh, to the club. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm assuming you're going to agree with Tim Cahill rather than Roy Keane. <laughs> I am in this instance. Just don't yes. tell Roy Keane. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I, I thought Tim Cahill spoke very well about Mikel. I mean, he knows him you know, very, very well. They played together at Everton, of course. He knows exactly the type of character he is. I was encouraged as well. I don't know if you saw in the news this week, Tony Adams in an interview talking about how he's had conversations with Steve Bold about Arteta and... Bold's full of praise, you know, saying this guy's got the lot essentially as a coach. So I think it's encouraging that people who know Arteta very well and who know Arsenal exceptionally well are all enthused about this manager. And I'm pleased for him that he got this win because, you know, on the back of two Premier League defeats yes. against City and Leicester, you know, I think the faith of the supporters, there was a bit of a, a wobble there. And I think this is a result that shows once again, you know, he is capable of really getting a team organised and playing effectively in these big games. And, you know, that's a big part of the job. Lee, we're going to let you go at this point. Thank you. See you next week. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. This is the handbrake of Arsenal podcast for the Athletic. Thank you, as always, for his insight to uh, Lee Dixon. Uh, now, uh, James and uh, and Tom have stayed around, and we're joined by Art De Roche, uh, who came on the show uh, the other week. Uh, good afternoon, Art. 
Good afternoon, guys. Uh, happy to be on again. Good afternoon. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, some of the pieces that you guys have been writing uh, for The Athletic. Tom, uh, as your guest, we'll start with you. Um, <laughs> I mean, the headline of the piece, are any teams good? Making sense of a weird Premier League table. I mean, well, what's the answer, Tom? Are teams any good <laughs> or are these weird statistical things that seem to be happening? What is going on? Yeah, I, st I still think we're quite early in the season and we're, we're, we're figuring it out and we're learning more as the weeks go by. I mean, um, watching the Leeds game last night, I thought that, you know, Leicester's injuries and, and Leeds' performances up to this point would mean that Leeds would win and they got walloped 4-1 in the end. So I just think this the league this year is, is a very odd one. Um, but what I kind of looked at is just how the top six, the big six teams, Arsenal, Chelsea, um, Manchester United, Manchester City, that other one in North London how kind of they're doing um, and they've had the worst start collectively in the last kind of 10 seasons um, and that's backed by City's injuries meaning their attack is the worst it's ever been under Pep um, Liverpool's defence has been unlucky and I think the main one for obviously for us is with Arsenal just they're not getting a lot of shots they're of really high quality um, and it's just whether that and the defence, which I mean, currently is amongst one of the the weaker in the Premier League, is enough to propel us into the top six. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as you said, uh, Tom, it does have a very early season feel to it. Um, James, I mean, it's good, isn't it? Isn't this what we want from a league rather than Liverpool running away with it? We should all thank Jordan Pickford for what happened with uh, Virgil Van Dijk just to even things up a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, although I would point out Liverpool are still top and despite not playing especially well, <laughs> yeah, they'd be further ahead. to pick up points. <laughs> it is yes. interesting because it feels like this weekend, you know, some of the teams that have been very uh, hyped, you know, the likes of Leeds, uh, Aston Villa, Everton, they all slightly came a cropper. And I think that shows you that this is a league with really variable form. Um I suppose from an Arsenal perspective, I just hope that the the unkind fixture list sort of begins to reap some benefits later in the year. I mean, we're seven games in. We've already played, you know, City away, Liverpool away, United away. You've got to hope that's going to put us in pretty decent stead. Although we're only ninth in the table at the moment, uh, you know, theoretically, things should get a little bit easier from here on. But, you know, Tom makes a good point. We are a team that sort of relies on slightly narrow margins. You know, we... We don't concede a lot of goals, but we don't score very many either. And it it's a bit concerning, I suppose, because you just don't know how sustainable that's going to be. Uh, no, but uh, we do have currently, and you mentioned this in your piece, James, and we'll get to that, the best defence uh, in the Premier League, which is, uh, which is not something I thought I'd ever say on an Arsenal podcast, <laughs> to be honest with you, because the last yeah. time we had a really good defence, podcasts weren't invented. Um, uh, Art, uh, your piece... <laughs> Uh, I I just love this is part of the reason that that I, I you read athletic pieces for this level of analysis. You've talked about the way that Arsenal uh, attack at corners, and you've gone into uh, it's a great detail as to their little routines. Um, are you encouraged by this? I mean, it sort of it did work against Leicester, even though they they disallowed it because who knows what. Uh, but it is a routine that seems to be working. Yeah, I mean the the main kind of thing that I guess stuck out was that Leicester goal but I think for me personally anyway I saw that in the Manchester City game and then looking back over the corners I think um, those patterns started to emerge like like you said and uh, for me I think it's in theory it's encouraging because 
you can see the kind of detail that's being put into into place at, at those corners and of course the narrow margins are what can uh, make or break a season when you look at how close things can get at, towards the yes. end of the campaign um, yes. but I guess in the grand scheme of things it may not seem like a, 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 a massive talking point but when when you look at um, how narrow games are between wins and losses at the minute for Arsenal as well it could um, prove to be uh, crucial come the end of the season. Well, Tom, when you have when you have a lump like Gabriel uh, uh, Gabriel uh, Magalhães coming in uh, and and making a noose of, of himself in the penalty area, uh, and if it's well drilled, and and also by the way, if the corner gets over the first man, which it doesn't always do, um, but you know that could be the difference, couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, statistically, he's one of the the best you know, players in the air in Europe last season. And I think that's very much a skill that has translated so far to the Premier League. And yeah, of course it's a threat, the same way that if Harry Maguire could direct his headers on target, Man U would be a big threat and, and the way that Van Dijk was a great threat for Liverpool as well. So I do think he's he's performed really well at the back. His passing is off his left foot, something we've not had for a while. And if we can, like you say, beat the first man at a corner, we do now have a, a, a an aerial target of our own to kind of attack with. Quite. And uh, James, the piece you wrote mm. uh, after the game, um, now you alluded to this in the first half about keeping the faith. I mean, I, mm. I, I, uh, you put something, I think, on Twitter the other day, oh, year of little faith. And I did answer you saying, <laughs> no, you're not talking to me here, are you? Because I've, I have got faith and have had faith in Mikel Arteta. But there were rumblings before this game. So you could see how much it meant to him when we got that, when the final whistle went. And that's sort of what the, that was what the piece was about, really. Don't worry, the whole 2,000 word piece wasn't intended as a retaliation entirely to you. Um, some of my pieces <laughs> Thank you. are. Granted, I know. I admit many of I them know. are. I feel, uh, I feel it coming off them as well. I think outrageous. <laughs> I'm going to have a word. But this I'm one. Start putting Dear Ian as the headline to all my pieces. No, <laughs> if you uh, could, so I'd know. You actually did keep the faith. I, I, I was interested, I think, by the speed at which. Um, sort of elements of the support kind of began to panic. I mean, I know it's something that's in our DNA as Arsenal fans, especially in recent years. I think all football fans, you know, we're results orientated, we're results governed. All um, football fans, James. Frank Lampard yeah. is under pressure at Chelsea, you know, exactly. and, and you know. he's a club legend for them. So it happens everywhere. But I do think that sometimes our focus and our fixation and the degree of analysis that we do go into on any one game means we can lose sight of the bigger picture. And I think when we step back and we look at the job that Mikel Arteta's done in what's coming up to a year now, I think there are a lot of reasons to be encouraged. I mean, ultimately, he inherited a team that was defensively all over the place and not great going forward either. Um, he has at least dealt with the first part of that problem. And I do think that that had to be the immediate priority for him coming into the club. We look like an organised side. We look like a structured side. I mean, I heard, uh, I think it was Gary Neville saying on Sky, you know, he felt like the way the game pl played out was almost as if Mikel Arteta had planned it. You know, all his substitutions, they felt like things that had been carefully considered, you know, decided before the game. The patterns of play were there. You can see, this is the point Tim Cahill was making as well, you can see the work Arteta's doing behind the scenes enacted on the pitch. And that's something that gives me big satisfaction as an Arsenal fan because, you know, you can see that the work is, is beginning to pay off. And it's not to suggest the job is 
done or anything like it. And I think that final third, that top end of the pitch, you know, there are a lot of questions to be answered. But just because of that, I don't want us to lose sight of how far we've come to get to this point. No, and I, and I think the article made that point very well. Art, I'll ask you first. I want to ask both of you, uh, Tom, as well. But Art, did you... Did, was there any point when you wavered slightly on Mikel Arteta or are you uh, solidly behind him at the moment? I don't think I've wavered on him uh, yet. I think that I'm quite in, in the solidly behind him camp uh, because, uh, as James mentioned, there, even though there has been issues that still need to be improved, like, like he mentioned in his piece about the creativity in the side, that's obviously an area that... Um, Arteta himself would know that he wants to improve, but I think on the whole we've seen um, the overall improvement in the side. Of course, that was with the defence first last season, and then we're slowly starting to see that um, in possession, although there is still improvements to be made. So I think when it comes to Mikata, the job he's done has been a clear improvement from Unai Emery's Arsenal. And Everybody, everybody can see that really. Even uh, people who don't watch Arsenal regularly, they can see the clear uh, structures of play as well as um, the improvements. Gabriel, uh, for instance, who I think has been Arsenal's player of the season so far. Um, the improvement Thomas Partey has made in midfield in his short amount of time at the club as well. I think um, there is only reason to be encouraged by that and. Uh, panicking, I mean, 10 months into his reign isn't the answer, I don't think. So, um, no, no, yeah. we'll wait, we'll wait until 12 months into yeah. his reign before we panic. <laughs> uh, Tom, did a stats back this up, by the way? Yeah, I think it kind of echoes what James said earlier that we are a bit on a knife edge in terms of the quality of chances in a game that Arsenal will, will create and concede. Um, I, I think. Overall, that is going to lead some really close games. Somewhere we're going to lose just because we don't create the volume of, of chances and we're opting for, for quality over quantity. But um, I just think that at this point, Arteta is obviously a man with a plan. He is thinking long term. And I it's just such a different approach, I think, that you get to a lot of other new managers who want to come in and they'll want to, obviously, they want to spend in each window and get the squad that they want. But I, th I really like the way that Arteta's come in and said, right, we want Partey, we want him to be our six, the guy who, who we can build our midfield around. And all the other pieces are like slowly, window to window, supplementing and bringing up the level of the squad. And I think that that, you know, success and, and, and bringing this club back to where it, it was overnight isn't going to happen. And I think you just need to trust the process, trust in Arteta and, you know, give it time. And he will be the right man to lead this club back to... Um, back to you know where we where we should rightfully be well as uh, as you said in the piece james you know the first person he turned to after the uh, the win was the club doctor uh, saying see have faith in me and i think uh, i think that's a good message uh, for all the arsenal fans out there um tom you haven't been here before when we choose a song uh, to go with our um, uh, our week of victories over dundalk and then manchester united i don't know if you have a song for us uh, we asked art uh, the other week and he just went to pieces i mean completely it was hilarious um, but uh, tom do you have a song for us uh honestly i think i'm going to pieces as well <laughs> 
You know, All right. you, you know when you get asked you get asked questions like this and you can't think of one song. No, yeah. even though you've listened to music since you were one and you think yeah. I can't think of a single song. <laughs> um I'll tell you what then, James, we'll go to you first as an experienced old hand at this sort of stuff. What have you got for us? Well, I ha- I mean, as you know, our producer Tayo sent across a suggestion for a song for this week. And since he sent that message, I have not been able to think of a superior effort I mean it's so apt I think given the performance we saw at Old Trafford so I mean unless you've got a good alternative to that Ian I think that's got to be the one well as you know as you know the the songs that I choose are often you know just a class above anything that you guys can come up with of course but, yeah. um, the song that Tayo came up with by the way was Walk Like an Egyptian until James had said it I was going to claim it as my own but you know what <laughs> why not uh, and Muhammad El Nenny Walk Like an Egyptian is good Although I would uh, say uh, solid, Ashford and Simpson, I believe it was. We are a solid team, and particularly for Gabriel Magalhães, uh, he is solid. And mm. uh, so I thought that might be uh, quite a good one. Art, do you have anything that uh, could uh, maybe top those two? I've got two to make up. Have for you? It. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> go on then. <laughs> so the first one's a bit of an unserious one, but I'll go with the Europa League themes tune because it's just, <laughs> I can't get over it. Every. Every yeah. time, every time I hear it, I'm, uh, I don't know how to describe. It's a banger. Like, it's a banger. Written, by the way, incidentally, by Michel Platini's son-in-law. Just to let you know, not that there's any nepotism going on there. They played. They played at the Emirates last week on the violin, and I was just in shock in the press <laughs> box. And the other <laughs> That's one, outrageous. <laughs> yeah, go on. The other one, I'm just gonna go for Fifty Cent, patiently waiting because. Uh, 14 years without a Premier League win at Old Trafford and also uh, in the build-up to the penalty Arsenal had the ball for almost two minutes with United only touching it once which was an interception which went straight back to Kieran and then they won the penalty so uh, patience proved uh, crucial on the day so I'll go for patiently waiting by 50 cents Tom I'll tell you what that's a decent standard this week all right next time you're on we sent a couple of bangers okay yeah. that would be uh, be very very nice uh thanks uh, by the way thanks for coming on tom tom warville uh there uh, the uh, football analytics writer for the athletics nice to speak to you thanks a lot thanks for having me on guys and pleasure you thank you time. art uh, de rocher I'm as I'm well sorry. sorry sorry james thank you art de rocher as well thanks for having me guys <laughs> go on james yes yeah, i'll do that sorry. again in one go <laughs> That's it for Handbrake Off. Uh, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, thank you to Tom Warville, Art de Rocher and James McNicholas. And also thank you to Lee Dixon and our producer, Teo Papula, uh, who I'm assuming he's listening at this point. Uh, I'm Ian Stone. It's been a pleasure and uh, stay safe. See you soon.